0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: And my name is Julie Douglas.
1: Julie, how'd your weekend go?
0: It was great. It was great. I handled lots of uh, pretend dinosaur poop.
1: Oh, wait, where did you uh, do this?
0: Uh, this was at the Fernbank Museum here in Atlanta, uh-huh. and they have an exhibit called The Scoop on Poop. Awesome. And, uh, they had this special little thing for kids. I mean, I think it was for kids. I was totally hanging out doing it, but, um.
1: Shoving kids out of the way.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, that's, that's my Play-Doh fake poop. <laughs> um, but they, they did this. It was really great. My daughter loved it too. Um, they, they rolled up just a bunch of different, like, uh, plants, materials, or bones, or, um, both into different pieces of Play-Doh and then you'd have to discover, you know, was it a carnivore, was it a dinosaur, an omnivore, or an herbivore? And kids love this, you right? Yeah. You know, they're all crowding these tables because even if you just call it pretend poop and it's squishy, they'll pick it up and, and have at it.
1: Kids love poop. It's it's a known fact. And, uh, and you can learn a lot from an animal's feces. It's, uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty established fact you can learn about an animal's diet you can learn about what kind of uh parasites it might have had if it had you know worms and stuff i mean if you've if if you uh if you have a child if you have a pet you've probably encountered a little of this um where you you get to have it, get an intimate uh A glance into what's going on inside your animal, based or or inside your child, (laughs) based on what's coming out of said organism.
0: Who is sometimes an animal. Yeah, this is true. Uh, You will know if corn was for dinner. Yeah, the night before.
1: You're like, whoa. You know, you you, you change your your pet cat's food, and then you go to scoop the litter box. You can sometimes tell. Whoa, there was a shift in diet here, because the the nature of the clumps has changed.
0: Yep, and that's uh, we, that's what we're going to talk about today: the nature of the clumps and the the merits of scatology here. Yeah, um, is something called coprolites actually?
1: Coprolites, yeah, which are basically stones that were once poops.
0: Yep, it's a scientific name for for fossilized um, excrement and uh, feces or droppings, however you want to call it. And we're gonna, we're going big here. We're talking about humans. We're talking about animals, woolly mammoths. Uh, we're not just talking about owl pellets.
1: Yeah, so. Uh, First, I'm just going to talk just a little bit about fossilization, just a little grounding here. Uh Fossilization takes place in various ways. There's freezing, there's compression, there's entrapment in amber, you know, like little bugs that are mm-hmm. trapped in amber. And then there is um permineralization, which is the, the big one. This is the one that factors into any kind of like dinosaur fossils that you see at a museum. Yeah. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking of fossils as merely a bone thing, you know. Or As,
0: tissue.
1: Or, yeah, or in some cases, tissue, B- because certainly bones will fossilize, but so will soft tissues. Mm-hmm. So can hair, so can uh, feathers, mm-hmm. and indeed, so can poop. Yes. So what happens during fossilization, specifically during permineralization? mineralization um, What we see is a, is a hardening of the minerals that have entered the small pores and cavities of a dead organism. Uh, and, and to a large extent, what it takes place is kind of like a, a mold uh, is is created, and then it is uh, that the contents of that mold is then uh, then becomes stone. Mm-hmm. Um, for this to happen, though, you need rapid burial of the animal, and this is there are a number of things that have to take place for something to, to fossilize, and that's why we have. Holes in the fossil record and, and why we don't depend solely on fossils for understanding what happened in the past. Because not everything fossilized. The more organa, you know, some organisms we have loads of fossils Mm -hmm. off because they, say, lived in the mud. And so when they died, they were quickly covered. Right, and And the
0: anaerobic bacteria really helped. Right, right, in that process.
1: Are there situations, you know, if an animal dies and something eats it? No fossil. If something, if an animal dies and it's uh, just left to just slowly, uh, just be worn away by erosion, it's, you know, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Likewise, uh, uh, top notch predators are harder to find fossils of in many cases because there are fewer of them there. As we've discussed before, they are the creature standing at the top of a pyramid of bones. And so the, the ecosystem can only, um, support a fixed number of them. Right. You have to take all of these factors into place when contemplating, um, our fossil legacy.
0: So trace fossils, like fecal matter, for instance, um, it's really important to make sure that uh, when it happens, that the dew happens, so to speak, that it's in the right environment for preservation. Um, so it makes the drop site really crucial for the creation of young fossils. So, um, for instance, you've got young fossils, which are usually just really dry bits of organic matter, and aerobic bacteria, of course, is bacteria that requires oxygen mm-hmm. quickly breaks down wet organic matter. Um, so you would want to find for instance your fecal matter in a cave that's really dry. This is very helpful.
1: Right and that's just what happened uh, in the most recent uh, example of uh, of in the uh, the news. Um, the journal Science reported the discovery in an Oregon cave of human DNA more than 14,000 years old and the DNA was distracted from uh Distracted. The <laughs> DNA was extracted from coprolites. That's right. This was uh, Paisley Caves?
0: Paisley in, Caves mm-hmm. in Oregon, and this represents the oldest human remains found in the western hum- hemisphere. This is like, this is a pretty big deal here. Yeah. Um, yeah, an analysis of the sample suggests that the cave dwellers were omnivores who ate lots of roots and seeds and nuts. And um, by the way, carnivores stand a better chance of having their uh, fecal matter fossilized into stone because they consume bi- uh, bones in their diet, mm. which are already mineralized. So that's less work for the bacteria to do.
1: Yeah, they end up with a very high calcium phosphate
0: content. Yeah. So it's it's great that they were able to find, um, you know, actually these these bits of fecal matter uh, just as a historical record, but also giving us a bit different understanding of of life there. Um, and what we thought was going on with humans 14,000 years ago. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But
1: luckily they were pooping in a cave, which really helped because the stuff dried out really quickly and was right. just in the cave. So, I mean, we, we encountered a similar thing with giant sloths. Uh, in some of the cases, these giant sloths, they had these uh, underground dens, and they would just poop absolutely everywhere. Uh, so it, they have these massive uh, quantities of, of, of fossilized uh, giant sloth scat.
0: Which is kind of great. Yeah. Right? Um Especially if you're a scatologist, I mean, can you imagine coming across that?
1: Yeah, it's like a gold mine.
0: Yeah, you know, how could it be? Um, but, you know, this isn't entirely uncommon, though, to find human coprolites. Um, there are over 1,000 human coprolites that have been collected from Heinz Cave in southwest Texas. Um, and these turds, they think, were deposited by ancient people over the course of about 8,000 years.
1: Uh, and then uh, there are a number of just really fascinating finds with animals, um uh, and various uh, various uh, fossilized animal scats uh, that have uh, turned up over the years. Uh, we've looked at some from Tyrannosaurus rex, 65 million years old. Um, and so these were kind of big, too. uh I was looking at the stats on one oh, of these. Yeah. 70.6 by 6.4 by 5.2 inches. And it weighed over 15.5 pounds. So that's pretty, uh, it's pretty lofty. It's that's pretty a lot weighty. of scat. Yeah. And, and again, you can, you get into, to looking at these and you can, and in fact, with the T-Rex's uh, fossilized dung, they were able to look in and, uh, they noted worm tracks, uh, that indicated that the beasts were affected by worms and mm-hmm. other, uh, intestinal parasites. Um, also discovered bones, so you get a better idea of what they were, they were eating. Uh, again, it's just, this is the end product of the creature's digestive processes, so it, it really lets you know how the animal's working.
0: Yeah, and they e- even uh, copper lights can give you an idea of what sort of creatures were around at that time. I'm thinking about this uh, this one poop that scientists found. It was near Chesapeake Bay, and they took um, they took the sample, mm-hmm. and they made a silicone rubber mold of it. And they found that the tooth marks indicate that the biter was most likely a relative to you know what we think of as a tiger shark today. Oh. And then they they uh, looked at it and they said, oh, it's really phosphate-rich. Uh, it seems like the fecal matter came from a creature that fed on bony prey. And then they looked at the size of it and they said, okay, we think that this was possibly some sort of crocodilian creature dwelling there. And um, the fact that it has these bite marks indicate to us, and the way that, they, that um, the bite marks are positioned, indicate mm-hmm. that possibly this uh, prehistoric Tiger shark actually bit into the digestive uh, system, or that part of the crocodile's digestive system, and pierced the, the fecal matter that way.
1: Wow! So, I mean, just from the the, uh, the fecal matter here, we're able to piece together this awesome battle between uh, prehistoric right. tiger shark and prehistoric crocodile monster. So.
0: Right, because it's not uncommon actually to find that uh, that animals will, will consume other animals' fecal matter. Mm. And I believe that they've seen bite marks in other samples before. But the way that this is positioned, it was it was not just that this tiger shark took a little morsel and went, oh, I wonder if I should eat this. It was that it was actually inside the, the belly of the crocodile at the time that it yeah. was attacked. Because
1: our listeners have dogs. They know how it, how it goes. This but, is true. Uh, now, Interesting. I am reminded the komodo dragon does not fall into that category because I remember the they'll eat just about anything
0: uh, uh Phil Bronson's toe yeah. as well oh yeah Sharon stones oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know That's if they're right. still married but that they went to go look at the behind the behind the scenes thing at the zoo oh yeah and, and fact yeah. yeah
1: but uh, but it, I remember when I was uh, writing about them that they um the uh, the young komodo dragons uh will total the adults will totally eat them but uh, they will coat themselves in fecal matter, and then that they'll they'll make themselves uh, less uh, desirable as a tasty morsel.
0: Snakes do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So we have to talk about mammoth poos, of course. But oh, before yes. we do, should we take a break? We again? should
1: take a break, and then we will come back and discuss the leavings of the woolly mammoth. All right, we're back. Um, you know, we uh, when we were talking to uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, you asked him about, you know, should we bring the woolly mammoth back? Yes. And uh it, it's interesting. Uh there's a lot of cool uh research and the possibility of cloning a woolly mammoth, of you know, finding a, a, a surrogate uh elephant to give birth to it and all this. But uh let's talk about resurrecting their poos.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, it turns out that that these guys, on occasion, would uh, consume other creatures' poos. And in fact, a woolly mammoth discovered in northern Yakutia, Russia, ate feces shortly before it died. We, uh, the researchers, discovered, and uh, it was really well preserved, actually, for the for them to look at this. And they found traces of willows, daisies, sorrel, sedges, rushes, sweet grass and other plants indicative of an open grassy landscape. That is
1: just a lovely sounding bit of fecal matter. I mean it's just It's very know, floral sounding, right?
0: Um uh, but they also found this fungus asporomyella which is known to know, to grow on deposited feces. So that's how they know there was a bit of feces in there. Mm-hmm. What I think is astounding about this is that you also get a hint of that diet. As you say it sounded somewhat lovely. I mean you've got sorrel and daisies and willows. Um but, yes, uh, you've got the fecal matter as well. And it's believed that they actually did this for a reason. Um, sometimes they wanted to populate their guts with appropriate digestive bacteria. It sort of made me think back to when we talked about fecal transplants. People yes. who are suffering from C. diff, um, th- you know, their uh, healthy digestive bacteria is wiped out. And so they replace it with a fecal transplant from someone else, presumably a family member, someone they know. Um but this could be a similar thing that these woolly mammoths were doing.
1: Now, one of the articles we were looking at laid out this uh, this interesting theory of, of kind of not quite an apocalypse caused by uh, woolly mammoth dung, but, uh, but kind of a complication of global warming meets woolly mammoth dung.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. So, okay, normally um, it doesn't take long for dung to fossilize. Right,
1: we're talking like, what, within a couple hundred years? A
0: couple hundred yeah. years, which sounds like a long time, but the geological scale, that's not a big deal, right? But it's a totally different story for the frozen tundra, where you have generations of woolly mammoths that roamed those that area for thousands and thousands or hundreds and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And they deposited, of course, their mammoth dew. And so the idea here is that with global warming, that uh, dormant microbes in the dung heaps could begin to wake up. Because so they speak. just pooped
1: everywhere and then it froze.
0: Yes, it's a carpet of poop, yeah. basically. Uh, so,
1: so this is when stuff starts thawing out. So, two will thaw out the the, the the mammoth dung, and then it's going to release methane. Uh-huh. And it's going to potentially have have microbes in it. I mean, it's it's
0: it's sort of a problem. we're opening
1: a Pandora's box made out of uh, pachyderm.
0: Yeah, and that dropping. again, this is what is really fascinating about this sort of scatological look into nature and what's happening here.
1: I know some of you were thinking, hey. Uh, poop is great and all, but what about vomit? (laughs) Can we talk about vomit? Yes, yes we we can talk about vomit. Uh, There is such thing as uh, fossilized vomit and uh, it is called a regurgitolite.
0: Which sounds... Beautiful, right?
1: It does. Mineralized vomitus.
0: Yep. Uh, Peter Doyle of the University of Greenwich described a conglomeration of bellamonite skeletons believed to have been coughed up by a marine reptile called, was it Ichthyosaurus? Yeah, Ichthyosaurus. Ichthyosaurus.
1: The Ichthyosaurus is the scary looking, I like to think of it as a fright dolphin. It's that (laughs) uh, that prehistoric dolphin that looks really kind of crazy and scary and nightmarish. That's the Ichthyosaurus. And the bellamites uh, are or were, an ancient type of squid that actually had an internal skeleton, which was really interesting. Um, so that's what this thing was eating and occasionally vomiting up. W- way back when we talked about uh, animals that would uh, turn their, uh, like some sharks will turn their stomach out yeah. like a um, like an inside-out sock to mm-hmm. empty it. So, um, or even wondering...
0: sea cucumbers, too.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering if it was a similar thing where it was, you know, it eats something it can't agree with, so it's just whoop.
0: Yeah, just ejecting it, yeah. possibly, but yeah, it wrenched that up about 160 million years ago. And it turns out that this kind of stuff, these copper lights, this, uh, regurgital light, mm-hmm. is hot stuff in the eBay market. Um, oh yeah, um, you
1: were searching for this yesterday.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, this, and, and think about it too, it would make sense because some of these will, will coalesce into these beautiful patterns um just sort of like you know petrified wood or anything that's been fossilized or been sort of baked by nature for a long time um and one piece of jewelry really uh struck my fancy
1: oh the 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 wristwatch yeah yes. a
0: dinosaur dung watch from a maker called Artia okay it's a swiss made timepiece. Mm-hmm. it's flawless it's beautiful i'm not kidding it features a polished copper light face sourced from a herbivorous dinosaur's dung which was dropped a hundred million years ago, and it has a bronze casing that's that's chosen to match quote the warm and matchless tints of dinosaur dung. It's
1: um, it's really hard to imagine, but if you go to the uh, blog post that accompanies this uh, this podcast, I'll include some links and and maybe I can find something to embed as well, where you yeah. can get a, a quick glance at it. But these things, some of these things are really beautiful. I mean, they just look like beautiful stones with a lot of like cool. Um, Earthy tones and even some, like, non-earthy kind of bright, vibrant colors uh, sort of marbled through it.
0: Well, I love this. There was a BBC article about this. um, I believe it's called Telling the Time with a Wristful of Dinosaur Poo. (laughs) And the maker of it is so excited by this. And he says, like, you're literally time traveling with this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I know. Um, With this with this watch yeah that, <laughs> and you know he's trying to sell it and you know why he's trying to sell it because uh, it's $12,000 well I mean, you've got to come up with a good story
1: but if you yeah if you want to be the I mean wristwatches are 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 cool again right uh, no one actually needs them because you get right. your phone but people like wearing them and um, and if you really want to set yourself apart if you really want to be cool uh, this is the watch to get it is
0: yeah. and I I failed to mention that the strap is made from American cane toad skin
1: well, good because you want something, um, something similar. Yeah, right? I know it's like want a just normal part. They they had to they they had to complete the DNA sequence, so they used frogs. They had to complete the wristwatch, so turn to your amphibians.
0: Yeah, it's kind of beautiful, right?
1: It is. It is. It's a beautiful watch.
0: So there you go. Copper lights, dung watches.
1: Yeah, regurgital lights, all that good stuff. It's uh, it's uh, this is a fun one. Yeah, and uh, and certainly. Um, I'm wondering if anybody out there has any of this jewelry. Because you can also get like earrings made from copper lights. And and it's pretty fancy stuff. I mean, if I saw it on on Etsy or wherever, I wouldn't think for a second, oh, that kind of looks like you're hanging dinosaur turds from your ears. No, it looks fabulous. Especially when you polish them up and you shake them.
0: My my question is whether or or not... you can
1: polish a dinosaur turd. You can
0: polish a dinosaur turd. Nicely done. My question is if any of these have shown up on Rick Retsy (laughs) yet. Because I would love to see that at least the description of it
1: cool well let's um, let's call over um, speaking of technology made out of dung let's call over our robot Arnold he doesn't have any feelings he he doesn't care what I call him uh, but he does have some mail here let's see here's one from Eric Eric writes in and says he's talking about horror we receive a lot of uh, comments on our uh, science of horror. Episode, he said, I've never uh, liked films like The Shining. However, my sister still loves them. When I was about 11 and we had Showtime, and they were showing the shining on TV our parents were going out and uh, explicitly told us not to watch the movie, so of course, my sister nine at the time, had to see it. However, it was too scary for her, so she got up uh, so she got me up to protect her to this day, that movie treats me out a few years ago, I was walking between two high hedges at night in the winter. It was very cold, and the hedges were covered in sparkling snow. It brought back memories of the movie so uh, so powerful it took a great force of will to present myself, prevent myself from running so I do enjoy uh, I do enjoy. Psychological throwers like Hard Candy, though. Thanks again for the podcast, Eric.
0: Hard Candy was uh, very intense maybe. movie. It was that? intense, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, very, very well done, but it, yeah, an intense uh, viewing experience. In uh, The Shining, uh, I agree. I mean, it's you can you can make criticism certainly on the fact that Jack Nicholson. Barely plays a human being in that film, and and uh, and and pre- and a lot of the humanity of that character is lost in in the transition from book right. to film, and that's something King always Stephen King, uh, the original author, uh, always griped about with that film. But
0: I can see that because that's very central to his writing and his characters. Yeah,
1: but every but the look of the film I and mean, Kubrick's treatment of the haunted house in that film just I mean it still stands up beautifully yeah. today. It's like two thousand and one. It's the two thousand and one of, of haunted houses. So. Um, Certainly, if you've never seen it, um, I recommend it. Be prepared for some shocks. Like, even if you think you're prepared, like you... It, it's 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 in the same category as 2001, in that you've seen if you've seen yeah. sci-fi movies today, and you think you've seen it all, and then you go back and watch 2001, it'll show you something that you haven't seen before. Likewise, if you've seen a lot of modern horror films, I don't care how disturbing or 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 whatever they happen to be, go back and watch The Shining, and it will give you something to creep you out.
0: Well, because Kubrick is a master of of creating that environment that is so. Isolating. Yeah. Um, and I mean, look at those films back to back. Um, there's so many, uh, at least in terms of how he sets the mood using sound and, and the void. Yeah. Um, that it really does uh, strike you at some sort of primal level.
1: Oh, and then we also heard uh, just uh, another quick one related to horror and things that uh, frighten us. Uh, Carrie, uh, with a K, wrote in and said, Hey guys. Uh maybe you're too young to remember, but King, in my opinion, didn't start the clown phobia. The original Poltergeist had a scary clown. That's what started it out for me, my brother, and my husband. King's clown was scarier, but our fears beginnings were from Poltergeist. Do you remember this?
0: I can i I don't know if I'm getting my clown imagery mixed up, but I sort of remember the scene where the kids in bed and the tree branches keep tapping against the window, mm-hmm. and that there's then there's a creepy clown but a doll. Creepy clown yeah. that's sitting on a chair.
1: Yeah, is it's, that right? Yeah, and it's um, this was a film that I saw way too young. Like, for some reason, we had a VHS copy of it. Like, I think my aunt had taped it off HBO way back in the day. You know, back when they had that really awesome uh, electronic intro and the, the crazy like flying into the HBO logo. And it might have been partially scrambled or, or black and white. Black and white. I don't remember which. But that really screwed me up for a while. I didn't actually watch Poltergeist in its entirety until a couple of years ago. And uh, yeah, it's got so many. Yeah, crazy it's frightening, scary things. and the
0: second one I, is is very disturbing as well to me.
1: Oh, that's the one that um, HR uh, Geeker designed one creature effect in that I think, where the guy's vomit turns into a monster and crawls off.
0: Oh, I don't remember that part. just the dude, the the um, the creature character just yeah yeah horrific to me.
1: So yeah, those that's those are some films that, for the most part, still stand up today in terms of their creepy visuals. So, so there you have it. Um, Well, hey, if you want to share something with us, uh, be it related to older episodes like the horror or or cutting-edge episodes like dinosaur poop and dinosaur vomit, let us know. We'd love to hear what you uh, have to say about it. What have you learned from uh, examining the leavings of other creatures? Uh, are you one of those people that can look at some droppings on the ground and tell me exactly what kind of animal it is and, and how far away they are and what they had for dinner? Um, I'd I'd love to hear some more about that. You can find us on Facebook where we are stuffed to blow your mind and you can find us on Twitter where our handle is blow the mind.
0: And if you want to talk scat, you can always send us an email to blowthemind at discovery dot com.